So John's gospel is a beloved gospel. Everybody loves the gospel of John. When you first get saved, what do you read? The gospel of John. That's because it's simple, yet it's profound. And it's been called by Erdman, a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant may swim. Its stories are so... uh, are uh, so simple a child will love them, but its statements are so profound that no philosopher can fathom them. So we want to jump in this year with both feet and go deep. Um, so this year we're, we're studying the life of Jesus as presented by the um, Apostle John. And we're going to go through chapters 1 through 12. And this will cover Jesus' public ministry. We will have an introduction to Jesus, and we will follow him as he calls his disciples and demonstrates to the crowds that he is the Son of God and the one and only who can give eternal life. So let's look at the author and the time of the writing. You know, the author isn't mentioned, just like any of the other uh, Gospels. The men kept themselves in the background, and um, yet we know it is the Apostle John Uh, There's a traditional acceptance for that. Irenaeus, a disciple of John's disciple Polycarp, is one of the earliest sources to associate John with the fourth gospel. And like the other gospels, the title, according to John, is found in the earliest manuscripts. But John identifies himself as uh, an eyewitness of the things he recorded. Um, He said in John uh, 21-23, This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know his testimony is true. He was there talking to Peter and Jesus, and uh, he gives this account of that. And then he says, I'm the one. And in John uh, 19.35 says, He who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows he's telling the truth, so that you may believe. That was his purpose. He wants his audience to believe, to look at the things that Jesus had done, that it might um, help them come to that place of understanding. And so this is the heart of the Apostle John, that you may believe. Um, So he was an eyewitness, and as an eyewitness, John describes for us things that only someone who had first-hand knowledge would know. He is aware of Jesus' conversations in detail, and he has conversations in his gospel that are not in any other gospel. Um, He gives uh, particular times of events uh, for things, a particular hour things happened, that he keeps, he'll say, and then the next day, and then the next day, and he uh, gives us that information. Uh, he describes in detail places, events, with personal knowledge. He gives us details of um, things that happen in the temple and um, the feasts and the, the different um, things that would happen at those times. He gives us information on the uh, sheep gate, on the pool of Siloam. He understands what happens there, and he describes it uh, for us. Uh, as somebody who's been there. But one of my favorite things about the book of John is the way he describes himself. He says in John 13, 23, 
Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now he doesn't say this once or twice or three times. He says it five times. In describing himself, he simply says, the one whom Jesus loves. And, you know, we know God has no favorites. Um, He's not partial to anybody. And so John's not thinking of himself as, oh, I'm the favorite. I'm the one Jesus loves. You know, he wasn't thinking of himself that way, but he relished the fact that Jesus loved him. And he thought of himself in those terms. And that's how he viewed his relationship with Jesus. So close. He's the, he is the disciple Jesus loves. And you know what? I want to tell you tonight. You are the woman that Jesus loves. Think of yourself that way. You are the woman that Jesus loves. And the Lord wants to be intimate and personal with you. He wants to have conversation with you this year and draw you to himself and open up your understanding and speak to you and give you wisdom and encourage your heart and bring you comfort. You are the woman that Jesus loves. So let's look at the Apostle John, who was the disciple Jesus loves. (laughs) Um, He was the brother of James, and his father's name was Zebedee. His mother's name was Salome. Now, um, when Jesus was crucified, Salome was there. She was looking on from afar, but she was there at the crucifixion. So she also followed Jesus. Uh, Remember, she was the one that came to Jesus with her sons and said, how about this? How about if my sons sit on your right hand and your left hand in your, in your kingdom, in your glory? And, um, Jesus said, well, you don't really know what you're asking for. Um, but I think about her as a very zealous person, a very ambitious woman, and a dedicated believer. And I feel like I see those traits in John. Um, so the family had a, a prosperous fishing business. We find this in Mark uh, 1, verse 20, uh, 16 through 20. They had servants that were there uh, helping them. Um, and John worked alongside his brother and his father in their family business until Jesus called them. John was first a, a follower of John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist um, pointed Jesus out, here he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John uh, follows him. And we find this in John 1, 35 through 42. He and Andrew... Uh, were there with John the Baptist, and they left him to go follow Jesus. Uh, We know that uh, John and his family were partners with Peter and Andrew, and they were called to follow the Lord at the same time. And John's calling to be a disciple is found in Matthew 4, 21 through 22, uh, Mark 1, 19 through 20, and Luke 5, 1 through 11. And the Luke account Uh, We're told that they were out fishing, and Jesus was uh, teaching the multitudes, and so he took Peter's boat, went out a little bit, and began teaching the multitudes. And when he was finished, he told Peter, 
you know, go launch out and, and have a catch of fish. And he said, ah, oh, you know, we've been trying all night, caught nothing, but okay, you say so, we'll, we'll do it. He goes out there, and the catch is so huge, he had to call John and James to come, and they filled up both boats. And when they saw this catch of fish, because they knew there were no fish in the sea, right? They'd been looking for them all night. And with this catch of fish, they are amazed. And, and Peter says, oh, <clears throat> depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, are you amazed at this? Don't be amazed. From now on, you're going to catch men. Come and follow me. And so they, they did. They forsook all immediately and followed Jesus. Now, John had a name, or Jesus had a name for John and his brother. He called them the Sons of Thunder. And I just wonder if this is, uh, you know, indicative of the zeal that they had for the Lord. And um, this zeal is seen when they were uh, going uh, into the Samaritan territory, and they didn't want to receive Jesus. And so in Luke nine fifty four through 55... When his disciples, James and John, saw, um, they saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. So here they are, just zealous for the Lord. What? These people don't want to listen? Let's just call fire down. You know? <laughs> we know what you can do. And I just thought, Wow. That would be a real dangerous um, thing to be able to do if somebody does something you don't like. You know, I've felt like it before, but <laughs> the Lord doesn't listen to those, those petitions. In Luke 22, 8, Peter and John are sent by Jesus to prepare the last Passover. And in John, uh, John was the only disciple to follow Jesus to the cross. And he stood close enough to him that he could hear Jesus tell him, uh, please, this is my mother. You take care of her. And he did. He took her in from that moment on. But that's how close he stood. Remember, Salome was at a distance. There was no other disciple to be found. But John was there, close enough to talk to him. John is mentioned nine times in the book of Acts. And every time he's with Peter. The two of them were like the dynamic duo as they ministered. In Galatians 2.9, Paul refers to him as the one of the pillars of the church. So he was so instrumental in teaching believers and, and getting people um, to know Jesus and sharing the gospel and um, a pillar of the church. Later in life, uh, he settled in Ephesus. Eventually, he was exiled to Patmos, where we know he received the uh, revelation from God. And John wrote his gospel. He was the last of the gospel writers. Uh, he wrote <clears throat> somewhere between 85 and 100 A.D., and the accepted date is 90 A.D. So he was the last to write his gospel. By the time he wrote his gospel, all the other disciples had either died or been martyred. The apostle Paul had been martyred. Titus had come through and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and he was like the last man standing. And uh, as he wrote his gospel, I just see it with great punctuation. 
He is stating that Jesus is God come in the flesh for the purpose of saving man. And at the time that he wrote the gospel, uh, false teaching had infiltrated the church, especially the teaching of the Gnostics, who stated that everything material was evil and spirit is good. And they taught that Jesus' uh, body was not real, like he would walk and there'd be no footprints, and that the spirit descended on him at his baptism, but then it uh, left him before the cross. And John's all, nope. And so he emphasizes those truths that emphasize, um, emphasize those truths to correct the heresy. And his primary audience was most likely the Ephesian Gentile believers. And because of that, um, and you'll notice as you go through John that he identifies the Jewish feasts, he, uh, uh, geographical leg- uh, locations, he's very clear on. Um, he interprets things for the reader. Um, like if he's talking about rabbi, oh, that means teacher. Um, <clears throat> so he's going to interpret many things to the readers. And he gives us a purpose statement in John 20, verse 30 through 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And this is what he wanted to communicate more than anything. Um, And so he purposely chose seven miracles. Some of the other Gospels record 20. John includes seven and um, and so he doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs because the purpose was to bring people to faith in Christ. Uh, signs have a purpose. He also includes seven I am statements of Christ and eight private conversations Jesus had with different people. The key word in John is believe, and it is found 98 times. The key chapter is chapter 3, and the key verse is 316. And everybody knows this verse because you just have to watch football. And somebody's got it plastered up there. John 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So captured in this uh Verse is a simple message of the gospel. It proclaims that salvation is a gift of God, and it is only obtained by belief in God's Son and produces everlasting life. So let's look at some of the particulars. The theme of John is the deity of Jesus. He is God's Son. Jesus speaks a lot about his Father. When you go through the book of John, you'll notice this. He came from God, he speaks God's words, and he does God's work. He and the Father are one. John 10, 30 through 31 says, I and the Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Because he makes himself out to be one with God, he is saying, I am God. And they realized that. Uh, They didn't have any problem figuring it out. They knew what he was saying. And it made the religious leaders really mad. 
and they figured he was speaking blasphemy because they did not believe in him. And so contention uh, happens quickly. I think we get to chapter 5, Jesus um, heals someone, and on the after that, he did it on the Sabbath day, and just, it all goes downhill after that. There's just so much controversy. And um, he has this con- ongoing controversy with the religious leaders, and he just simply calls them Jews. He'll say the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. And he's talking about the religious leaders. The opening verses of John give us a powerful statement of the origin of Jesus and present his deity in no uncertain terms. He says in John 1, 1 through 4, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And you know in the beginning... Um, let there be light, and there was light. It, all things were spoken into existence. Jesus is the word, God speaking into existence because he created all things. And only John calls Jesus the word. This is unique to his gospel. And I love that whole idea. He is the word. Because what do we use to communicate? We use words. We speak so that I can give you what's on my mind. You can give me what's on your mind. God communicated to us through his son, the word, so that we could know his heart and know his thoughts and his desires for us. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus was the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And so he speaks to us of who Jesus is or who God is. John presents Jesus as God, our creator, but also our savior. He came in the flesh to give us life. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in presenting the deity of Jesus, John doesn't record his birth, his baptism, uh, his temptation in the wilderness, his confrontation with demons, the Last Supper, his agony in Gethsemane, or his ascension. Those things are all left out. Each gospel presents Jesus in a a little different light. Um, Matthew emphasizes his kingship and traces Jesus' origins through the genealogy back to David and then to Abraham. Mark emphasizes his servanthood. And he traces him back to the town of Nazareth. Luke emphasizes his humanity as the son of man and traces his genealogy back through David to Adam, the first man and son of God. These are the synoptic gospels. The word synoptic means to see together. They have a very similar format when they are presenting Jesus. Um, But... John does not present Jesus with an earthly origin. He traces Jesus back to eternity because he is God eternal. Uh, It is said that the synoptic gospels reveal the history of Jesus and John's gospel presents the mystery of Jesus. 
Only John records the I am statements of Jesus, which are so powerful to describe who he is and what he does. So I want to look at a few highlights from what we will study this year. We will cover chapters 1 through 12, which details Jesus' public ministry. Uh, And we are introduced to Jesus in chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. And we will learn he is eternal, the eternal word of God, the only source of life. And his mission is presented for us. And we will learn the cost of rejection and the blessing of accepting Jesus Jesus is then introduced by John the Baptist, who directs his disciples in pointing them to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in 1 John 1.29. And so John carefully selects seven miracles, which he calls signs, because signs point to something, and these signs point to who he is and what he has done, and what that means to us in a very practical way. And the first miracle that we find, or the first sign that he points to, is when Jesus turned the water to wine in chapter 2, 1 through 11. And if you recall, that was the wedding at Canaan of Galilee. And they had run out of wine. It's not something you want to do at a party. And wine in scripture symbolizes joy. And so you can just get a picture of the festivities just kind of... had it went to a stall, right? There is no more wine. Um, and what this points to is that when our human resources run out, Jesus provides what we need. Um, when we do what he says, because remember there was the servants there, and Mary says, whatever he says to you, do it. As they follow those instructions, Jesus intervened, and the miracle took place. And that's what happens in our lives. We do what Jesus says, and he intervenes, and he provides the things that are needed. In um, the the second sign that he does is the healing of the nobleman's son in John 4, 46 through 54. And this sign testifies to the power of the word. When you put your confidence into Jesus' words, you will see his purpose accomplished. This man came to Jesus His son is sick. Um, Heal my son. And he said, go your way. Your son is healed. And he had to take Jesus at his word and go back. And when he got there, he found that his son was healed. He says, when was it at this particular hour? And then he knew it was just when Jesus had spoken. And so um, this testifies to God's power that we can put confidence in Jesus' words, that his purpose will be accomplished. Jesus is able to restore. The third sign was the healing of the paralytic on the Sabbath in John 5, 1 through 16. And the paralytic man was there um, at the Pool of Siloam, and he couldn't get down. He couldn't make his way. And he was helpless, and he was hopeless. And he kept going to a place where he had no way to get help. And um, Jesus comes along, and he did for this man what he could not do for himself. And isn't that what Jesus came to do? 
we could not save ourselves from our sin like that paralytic man. We could not get to a place where we could have relationship with God. But Jesus intervened. And in our weakness, he gives us strength and provides uh, what we cannot do for ourselves. And then at the same time he did this miracle, it it was the Sabbath day. And Jesus purposely did this miracle on the Sabbath day. And it riled up um, all the religious leaders. But he was separating himself from the religious system. He is not uh, a ritual. He is not a regulation. He is God in the flesh, making a difference in the life of people. And in the fourth sign that he gives us is the feeding of the multitude in John 6, 1 through 13. And if you recall, the disciples had, had come, they're with the crowds, and they realize it's getting late, it's dinner time, let's send them off. And Jesus says, well, wait a minute, uh, you give them something to eat. And uh, wait a minute, There's all we have here is like a few fish and some bread, and Jesus says, have Ray sit down. He takes that, he blesses it, he breaks it, he multiplies it out. And there was 12 baskets left over, way more than what they started with. And this sign points to Jesus as the one to provide our needs. He alone can satisfy our hunger, and not just physical hunger, because the lesson here is a spiritual hunger. You see, these people that ate this bread, they they came back the next day, hey, we want more of that bread. Jesus says, don't work for, for physical bread. Yearn and long for spiritual feeding. And that's what Jesus longs to give us. The next sign is um, walking on the water in John 6, uh, 12, 16 through 21. And this sign points to Jesus as the one who turns fear into faith. He had uh, left his disciples, sent them away, and in the evening and the nighttime, he came walking on the water. And the disciples saw him, and they were terrified. They didn't even want him in the boat. They were terrified. And Jesus says, do not be afraid, it is I. And then he got into the boat, and immediately they were where they needed to be. And how he just took their fear, their terror, and he turned it into faith. Because he spoke to them. God's word, when he speaks it to us, it changes us. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When I'm fearful, I can go to God's word. I can hang on to it. I can memorize it. I can tell it to myself. My granddaughter gets afraid at night. And, you know, like most kids, they're just, something's under the bed, right? And um, she just was having a hard time going to sleep. And now she sleeps with her Bible. I mean, she's got Molly in one hand and, and her Bible in the other, <laughs> her little doll. But that she understands God's word brings comfort. And he will turn your fear into faith if you'll take his word to heart. And um, the last or, or the sixth sign was sight to the man born blind. And this uh, sight points to Jesus as the light of the world by which every person may receive truth. If you remember, the, the man was born blind, and the disciples, did he sin? Did his parents sin? No, it's because of the glory of God. God has a purpose in this. And, and Jesus heals him. 
And then Jesus comes back to find him and uh, reveals himself to the man, and the man worships him. Um, and, and what this teaches us is that every one of us is born blind into sin. And every one of us need our eyes opened. Jesus alone can do that. He can open our hearts and shine his light into our lives um, to dispel that darkness. Isaiah 42, 7 says that he has come to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. This is what Jesus will do in our lives. And the last sign he gives is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. He saved the best to last, right? And this sign um, identifies Jesus as the one who brings people from death to life. In 1 John 5.11, says, And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. When he rose, when, when Lazarus was risen from the dead, what a powerful statement that Jesus is more powerful than death. Death is the, the final thing. We have no power over it. None. But Jesus does. And Jesus gives us the victory because we are no longer under the curse. Our sin is forgiven. And when we die, we have hope. So these signs were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. And all of these signs point to the transforming power of God um, that is revealed in these things. These signs display the power of God over every resource, over nature, over disease, over death. And John presents these um, signs, and he records the reaction. As he is going through the, the, the gospel, you will see he'll present this sign, and then he'll give you the reaction of the crowd, if they believed, if they didn't believe, and, and how they responded. And then he'll move on to the next sign and the next miracle, and you'll see how do people respond. Do they believe, or are they in disbelief? And he also will portray the intense opposition that Jesus will face from the religious leaders. We are also going to cover um, the uh, I am statements of Jesus. And I'll just read those to you, but we will go into them, um, each one individually. Um, the first one is, I am the bread of life, John six thirty five. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He will sustain our lives, but we must come to him and believe in him. And when we do, he will keep us, and we will be satisfied, and, and we'll not... Um, have that longing. He will satiate the hunger of the heart. And he gives us eternal life when we come to him and believe in him. The second one is, I am the light of the world, John eight twelve. And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Those that follow Jesus will have the light of life. He will direct your way. But you have to follow him. You have to follow him. 
Those who do not believe in Jesus walk in darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Psalms 18.28 says, You will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. He says, I am the door in John 10.7. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. The religious leaders didn't want to go through Jesus. They wanted to go through the door of works and religion. And that door leads nowhere. It does not lead to the kingdom of God. If you want to get into the kingdom of God, you must go through Jesus. He is the door to God's kingdom. He says, I am the good shepherd in John 10, 11. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In Psalm 23, the title for God is the shepherd. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd. And so Jesus applies that to himself. But he is good. He's beautiful, excellent, suitable. He is good because he defends his sheep to the death. He gave up his life so that we might live. And all of us like sheep have gone astray. Isaiah 53, 6. We've turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he died and paid the price for that so we could have life. And he not only laid his life down, but he took it up again with power. And this ensures our victory over sin and death and destruction. He says, uh, the next one is, I am the resurrection and the life. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. If you remember the sisters, Mary and Martha, their brother had died. And Jesus delayed coming. Um, but when he did come, um, they, they feel disappointed, they feel um, discouraged, and uh, Martha feels like her hope is just so far off in the distance. And Jesus gives her this statement, and it's a declaration that he is the power that opens the grave. Um, eternal life proceeds from him. He's the source of life now and then. It is Jesus that brings Um, from death to life by the power of his word. He brings a sinner, a a sinner who's dead in sin, to a new life in Christ and makes us new creatures. We will also explore in our our lessons this, this year five of eight private conversations Jesus had uh, with different people. Um, And the conversations are with different people, with different backgrounds. And the first conversation he has is with a man named Nathaniel. Now, Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus, and Jesus called him an Israelite in whom is no deceit. To which he replied, how do you know me? And um, Jesus said, well, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Um, And he says... He, I, he can't believe it. He calls him my, my rabbi. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. But Jesus revealed to him, I know you. I know everything about you. I know who you are. I know where you are. I know uh, every, every bit of information about you. And isn't that what God reveals to us? I love Psalm 139. He knows my going in, my, my going out, my coming in, my thoughts from afar, I can't escape his presence. He knows everything about me. And this conversation transformed this young man's life. 
From that point on, he was steadfast to follow Jesus. He became one of his disciples and stayed with him his whole time of ministry. And Nicodemus, in John 3, 1 through 21, um, this man came to Jesus, and Jesus addressed a misunderstanding that he had about God's kingdom. He says, you don't enter the kingdom through religion. It requires a new spiritual birth that comes from believing in God's Son and his death on the cross, and it produces eternal life. Um, He told him that the new birth wasn't a change to an old system, but it was a whole new way to come to God and become a part of his family. What this conversation did for Nicodemus, it opened his understanding. He didn't understand what Jesus was talking about, and Jesus explained to him what he needed to know so that he could could see the kingdom of God and be a part of God's family. And the conversation that Nicodemus had changed his life. He became a follower and a defender of Jesus after having spent that time with him. And I love it because Jesus does open up our understanding. When we don't get something, go to him. He will give you the understanding. He will change your thinking. And then there's the woman at the well in John 4, 6 through 26. Um, And Jesus um, seeks her out. Uh, He's waiting for her, for her to show up. And uh, she was not planning this meeting, but Jesus had planned it. And uh, he has this conversation with her. And I love it. Because she was there, she had been trying to fill her life up with things to satisfy and and give her purpose in her life. And every attempt she made uh, left her wanting. And Jesus said, you know, I have something to give you. I have this living water. And he points out the obstacle that she has in her life to keep her from receiving it. And then he reveals himself to her in such a powerful way that she just leaves her stuff and she runs back to town to the people she is avoiding to tell them, I found the Messiah. And her life is transformed. The man born blind, he's healed by Jesus. Um, And he only knows Jesus by name. He doesn't know him. But Jesus seeks him out and has a conversation with him. And he says, do you believe in the Son of, Son of God? He says, well, who is he that I might believe? It's, I am he who's speaking to you. I do believe. And he confessed his faith in him, and he was transformed. And then there's Mary and Martha that called on Jesus to, to come heal their brother, and he delayed But he came to them in their time of grief. He understood and uh, bring them comfort. He even wept with them. And then he raised their brother from the dead so that they would know that Jesus has power over death so that you and I would understand. It's such a visual picture. Jesus has power over death. And those that belong to him have eternal life and will not die. Though our body may die, we will live. And he will resurrect this body one day to be like his glorious body. 
And the older I get, the more excited about that I am. My joints won't hurt, and I won't have to use 50 million drops in my eyes every day. (laughs) It's going to be great. Um, But when we grieve, we can go to Jesus, and we'll know he will weep with us and comfort us and give us words of hope. He will be the lifter of our head um, because he is close to the brokenhearted. And he ministered to these sisters and gave each of them what they needed in this conversation. So when you're grieving, when you're hurting, when you're at loss, you can go to him and you can find a comforter, someone to speak words that will encourage you and put faith in your heart. And so these women were transformed by the powerful word of Jesus. And I love these conversations because that is what Jesus wants to do as we spend time with him in his word. He wants to have a conversation with you. And I want to encourage you as you go through the gospel of John, that you would just take time. Don't plow through your study. Have a conversation with Jesus. Ask him questions. Pour out your life. Tell him what you don't understand. Change my thinking. Help me see this. Guide me. Be the light that I need right now. And um, have, have a conversation with him. Every one of these people, their lives were transformed by speaking with Jesus and allowing him to speak his word into their hearts, receiving what he had to say, Acting on what he had to say, they became different people. And this is what God wants to do with us. And so I just encourage you to allow him to speak with you week to week as you spend time in your study. And I know all of us are going to have times where we can't get here, but I encourage you, stick with it. You can't make it one week, come the next. You know, just get back on track. If you couldn't get your homework done, Don't worry. Just show up. God's still going to speak with you. He's still going to minister to you. There's so much that you will get out of it. So let's watch Jesus work. Let Jesus speak to us and expect him to speak to you. And just like Nathaniel was said to Nathaniel, you will see greater things than these.